Sitting proudly atop the vertex of the skull is an area of skin that we both colloquially and anatomically refer to as the scalp. But did you know there are five layers to the scalp, each with adaptations that facilitate things such as heat regulation, social interactions and even help safeguard us against brain injury? Want to know more? If so, listen into this episode of Dissectable Me, where I, Chris Summers, will explore the basic anatomy of the scalp. So the scalp is referred to as the layers of skin and subcutaneous tissue that sit atop of the skull vault. And your scalp has some distinct anatomical boundaries. Your scalp begins anteriorly at the superior orbital margin of the skull and ends posteriorly at the highest nuchal line. The lateral borders are vaguer, but it's largely accepted to be demarcated by a mark on the lateral skull called the superior temporal line. When we use the term scalp, we are actually referring to five layers of soft tissue that sit upon the skull at this area. And these five layers have the easiest mnemonic to remember in anatomy. That mnemonic is the word scalp. Yes, literally, scalp, that's it. So function as an acronym, if you write out the word scalp vertically down your page, in capital letters, we can then use each letter to name a layer of the scalp. Now leave a bit of room in between each letter for us to add some details as we go. First then, let's build the layers. S stands for skin, and this is the most superficial layer. C stands for connective tissue, and in brackets write the word dense. A stands for aponeurosis. L is the loose areola connective tissue. And P is your pericranium or periosteum. And this depicts the five layers in order from superficial to deep. Now let's pad out each of these layers with some details. So firstly, the skin. The skin layer here is thick. In fact, its thickness is only bettered by the skin found on the palms and soles of your hands and feet. Unlike those two areas, however, in the scalp, the skin is rich in hair follicles and sebaceous glands, at least in most people. Insulating this area of the body with a rich mop of hair is advantageous in regulating one's temperature in colder climates. It's also protective from the blazing sun from those of us lucky enough to live in warmer, sunnier areas of the world. The drawback? Sebaceous cysts are commonly found in the scalp, and this is a collection of sebum forming a small cystic benign structure. Deep to the skin, then, is a dense connective tissue which is actually tightly adherent to the layers above and below it. This layer is rich in fat and fibrous tissue tightly packed in. We again see some hair follicles here, but importantly, this is the layer in which the blood vessels and nerves that supply the scalp live. The nerves to this area are largely made up of small branches of the first branch of the trigeminal nerve, V1, but posterior sensation is via the greater auricula and the lesser occipital nerves. Arterial supply is via branches of the external and, in fact, the internal carotid arteries, and these being relatively superficial are prone to lacerations during trauma. Due to the dense nature of connective tissue, any lacerations here can cause massive hemorrhage as the vessels are unable to vasoconstrict as they do elsewhere in the body and are therefore held open and more prone to bleed. The veins that are found here are tributaries for both the external and internal jugular veins of the neck. On to the next layer. An apneurosis is a thin, flat, tendon-like connective tissue structure that connects muscles to other soft tissues or bone, with numerous examples found all over the body. In this case, this apneurosis connects between two muscles, the anterior of which is called the frontalis muscle and the posteriorly located occipitalis muscle. These are sometimes collectively referred to as the occipitofrontalis muscle as they serve a single function. 
These muscles are joined by an epicranial apneurosis making up this layer of the scalp, hence apneurosis. Their function is largely involved in social interaction, raising your eyebrows, wrinkling your forehead, all made possible by the mobility of this layer of the scalp. Now, some primates rely on this layer even more than we do to communicate. After the podcast is finished, YouTube Gelada Monkey. This fascinatingly expressionate species of primate with occipital frontalis and other muscles of facial expression get a really good workout. Now, deep to the apneurosis layer, we find another area of connective tissue, but this one is far less dense and allows movement between the layers above and below it. It is therefore termed the loose areola connective tissue, but it has a more dramatic name, the danger zone. Cue top can music. Now, this name is given by the fact the scalp has small emissary veins that pass through the skull from this layer and actually drain into the intracranial dural venous sinuses. Said veins are valveless, so any infection that works its way into this layer of the scalp can potentially spread intracranially. Now, this sounds like an example of evolution causing issues or poor adaptations, right? Well, not entirely. Emissary veins are involved in selective brain cooling with bidirectional blood flow. These are numerous in humans, but far less frequent in other apes or hominin skulls. Now, some theories suggest bigger brains, greater cooling needed. Maybe. There are also theories on these acting as release or safety valves during head trauma to equalise intracranial pressures, preventing brain injury during a hematoma. They, of course, only work up to a point where surgical trepanning may be required to release pressure with a burr hole. Finally, the deepest layer of the scalp is the periosteal layer, aka the pericranial layer, a thin membranous layer found surrounding the bones of the skull that becomes tightly adherent and actually dives deep into the bone at the skull's suture lines. And that is it, your scalp. Remembering as a mnemonic acronym, we see five layers of soft tissue making up its structure. We also discuss why bleeding in this area is often pronounced and can be life-threatening. And the final point we mentioned, how and why scalp infections can be so dangerous due to emissary veins facilitating intracranial spread. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll catch you next time in the lab on Dissectable Me.